We're going to be digging into John 3.16 uh, and a few verses after that. So let's go ahead and read this. I'm going to pray and we'll get to work, okay? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, let's pray, and uh, we'll get to work here in the text. Lord, um, we love you. And those of us who do not yet understand your love and, and in response love you, we are collected here together this morning from different pains, from different backgrounds, from different brokenness, from different questions and fears and anxieties and troubles and rejoicing and happiness and joy, but we're here. And we're here for a number of reasons, but whatever those number of reasons are, Lord, we ask you to make the number one reason why we're here to hear from you and to be changed through you and to be changed by you and to be changed to look more like you. Lord, would you do this supernatural, miraculous work in us so that we would understand what true joy is and what true meaning of life is and also that you might receive more glory from us in this lifetime, today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, practically receiving the glory from our lives. Lord, do this miraculous thing in us today. That would mean that you're going to have to come and teach us. You're going to have to lecture not just our minds, but our hearts. And you're going to have to, to, to breathe life into some hearts that are very discouraged and they feel dead, lifeless. And you're going to have to do that in hearts that truly are lifeless and dead and separated from you. So Holy Spirit, before we go any further, I'm asking you to do that. Quicken our hearts. Help us. May we hear you. May we experience you today in a whole new light. At a whole lot deeper significance. So much so that we live our lives different. Because today, November 6th, our lives were altered and redirected and realigned, given a foundation of hope and joy and comfort and encouragement that no situation or thing can take from us or add to it. Again, a miracle. But I ask these things in your precious name because I know you're fully capable to answer this prayer and do these things for us. Amen. Amen. 
Okay. So we have in context here in John 3, we have the, the preceding few verses where Jesus is dialoguing with a man named Nicodemus, who's a religious ruler, okay, probably part of the Sanhedrin, which means the highest spiritual ruling body in Jerusalem, in Israel. And he comes in and, and he asks Jesus by night a few questions about life, okay? And Jesus continues to point to himself, Jesus, being the Savior, the one who gives hope, the one that your search for significance can stop with, okay? He is supreme. He is sufficient. Remember this? We went through this last week. Well, after that dialogue where there's Jesus and Nicodemus asking questions and answering him, and that's where Jesus, upon three questions from Nicodemus, Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say to you, truly, truly, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I'm telling you this, the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. He hits him three times with profound truth about life and eternity and what it means to have hope of heaven after this life is finished. Well, some of your Bibles here, if you have a red letter edition of, of a New Testament, the following section will be in red, okay? This signifies that those words are thought to be quotations of Jesus. Red letter, uh, red letter edition Bibles are printed up this way at the discretion of editors and their publishers. Sometimes there's discrepancies in who quotes and who's just referring to Jesus' words. We see it best through studying and, and really leaning on some heavy theologians here who are much smarter and brilliant than I will ever be and they look at this passage, 16 through 21, as John's explanation of the conversation that just happened, referring back to certain words that Jesus said, though not quoting him verbatim. So if you do have a red-letter edition, it's, it's best to read this as John and not Jesus, as the quotations ending with Jesus at verse 15, which brings us to a point here that I really want to point out as far as how to study the Bible. Before we go further, I want to... I want, us, I want you to be helped this way. I know for me, for a long time, I would put greater weight in words of red than words that were black because Jesus said them, right? So they're much more significant and much more profound. But to read it this way is selective interpretation. It's uh, classic liberalism. It's, it's heresy to place greater weight in the words of Christ than any other word in Scripture. To place what Christ says over Isaiah, or what Christ says over John the Baptist, or what Christ says in a quote over Paul. Because see, that negates the single author of Scripture, capital A. That negates God being the one who breathed this, gave this, inspired this text. So there's ultimately one author. God is the author, okay? He is the writer of this. So every single word is important. Every one could not be, every single word could not be more significant or more profound. So, little kind of Bible study snippet there. Read scripture as if it were all significant. As if every word should be in red, technically, because it's all from Jesus. It's all from the Holy Spirit. It's all from God, the Father. Okay? So just encourage you this way. Don't place greater weight, whether it's red or it's black. It's all important. And it all should be red, like R-E-A-D, okay, and it all should be lived out in obedience. This is the truth. That wasn't really a joke. That was just the truth, okay? Trust me, if I said a joke, you would laugh, all right? I promise. 
<laughs> just kidding. Uh, here we go. John 3, 16. Let's go verse by verse here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, this scripture here points to the fact that God made salvation possible because of his love. His love here was a key motivating factor, culminating in our joy in him, resulting in him receiving more glory by us being in all of him and him alone. You see, the concept of for God so loved the world and not just God so loved Israel or the Jews was a big deal. This was, this was a cutting-edge teaching here that Jesus is broadcasting out, that John the Baptist is recording here of a conversation that took place. The truth that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but he came that the whole world might know. And that world there is teaching the aspect of what it looks like to have every single people group, every single tribe, tongue, nation, ethno-linguistic peoples, from all around, from all different, even heart languages, though we express the same language, we still have different dialects and understandings of certain phrases. Every single type of group of people, he died for those people. And this is our hope. Because as far as I'm concerned, I don't know about you, but for me personally, I'm not a Jew. This brings me great hope that I can be in on this. And before Christ came and taught this and lived this, there would be no hope for me being what the Bible considers a Gentile, a stranger, an alien, to the promised covenants of the Old Testament. So, so here we see God giving his, literally, his one and only, really means one of a kind, his, his distinct, unique, significant son. And we are to respond in faith. That He says, whoever believes, pointing to faith. Whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him, results in receiving Jesus. It's, re it's, it's, it's receiving his testimony. It's receiving his witness. You remember what happened in the earlier passage with Nicodemus? He said, you believed in our signs, you believed in my miracles, but you did not receive our testimony. Remember that? He didn't receive his truth. What was the testimony? What was the truth that he's talking about? It's essentially the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah of who he was and who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will one day do. It's that testimony of Christ that Nicodemus did not receive. But it's all those who receive this in faith now have hope, hope of eternal life, okay? This, this perish or condemned state, those who believe in him will not perish, will not die, will not be condemned, but have eternal life. This perishing here, this being condemned here is antithetical. It's opposite to eternal life. So we see this perishing as not only existent, but eternally existent, contrary to a lot of popular teachings about hell, expiring or being non-existent. It is a real thing. It is a real thing to be saved from. Hell exists. It's in the Bible. He talks about it as much as he does anything else other than money. It's important to Jesus and his doctrine. Don't try to, to white out certain passages or certain teachings or certain truths of Scripture. Take it for what it is. It's not supposed to be easy to swallow. 
And it's not supposed to be hidden with a little bit of sugar. It's supposed to be the truth declared publicly, privately as truth, not to be altered in any way. But the Bible is God's word, okay? Let's not pick and choose as if it were a buffet and we just take things that we like and leave things that we don't. He said it's a stumbling block to some. So this, this perishing, this being condemned, being the opposite to this eternal life points to the fact there is no middle ground with Jesus Christ. You either believe in him, you receive his witness, you receive his testimony, and you have faith in him resulting in eternal life, or you refuse to believe, you fail to receive, and you have your natural, inherited, deserved condemnation for not receiving his witness, not having faith in Christ, resulting in your destruction. These are the only two options. There is absolutely no middle ground. So John has just stated this incredible passage of scripture that most of us know by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, his unique son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, die, but have eternal Life. And John loves, and we're going to learn as we pour more into John, as we go verse by verse through this book, he loves to state something and then restate it in the negative. So really, John 17 is really kind of 16B almost, like the 16 option number two. Like we can read it this way as well. So let's read 17 together. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, it's the same truth spoken in the negative. Let's read verse 18 as well. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in Christ, if you see that he was dealing with your sin, your real sin, the sin that you struggle with, the sin that weighs you down, your disobedience, your disrespectful attitude, your lack of generosity, whatever it might be, your sin that you're born with and that you deal with every day, that you see that your sin was placed on Christ as he bore the wrath, the penalty of your sin. This is the Christian term in theological terms that's, that's called propitiation. It's where Jesus acted on the cross as not just a man dying, but a man dying and absorbing the very wrath of God that is to be sent towards our sin. So when you place your hope in Christ, you're placing your hope in a man that died on a tree, absorbing the very wrath that is to go towards the punishment for your sin. As Brian sang, it's the cup. The whole cup of wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ, where now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our hope. So Christ was our propitiation on the cross. He was our representative in life. He was our substitute in death, taking our place as we were just singing. So that it's whoever believes in him is no longer condemned because the sin has ultimately been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Again, this is our hope. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So whoever does not place their faith in Christ is condemned, which is just. It's hard to feel this. It's hard to say this, but it's what's fair. 
because God is holy and we're not. And because we deserve punishment because we are sinful, we are not perfect. So therefore, it's grace for us to be given forgiveness because it's something we don't deserve because what we do deserve is death, the penalty for our sin, in which we are sinners by birth and by choice, inherited by our first parents, Adam and Eve, and as well as what we're really good at every day. So he's already, he's condemned already. Speaking of our natural born inheritance, our being children of wrath, the Bible says, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is not just to believe in the name like he referred to earlier, which was insufficient when they were believing in the name, defining the signs that he was doing, but this is the believing faith in Christ Jesus. Much more than just in the sign of Christ Jesus doing a miracle. That was insufficient. Remember this? So this is the faith that leads to salvation. This is the belief that saves. You see, we are responsible to respond when we have heard the truth of the gospel proclaimed, either by preaching, by common teaching with one another, or by personal private study. When you have heard the word, you are responsible to respond in faith to what you're hearing. Believing in Jesus Christ as sufficient and good. And it's when we fail to respond in faith in Christ Jesus that we stand condemned. Presently speaking, right now, condemned. So what this truth means is that for those who have not placed their hope and identity and trust in Christ and what he did on the cross, right now you're standing condemned. Right now, you are standing as hopeless. My encouragement is going to be all through this sermon that you would look to Christ. That you would see that he is your salvation from your hopelessness. That would be absolutely phenomenal. It would be life-changing. It would change your life. You've got 60, 80 years, 40 years left. It would change those years, and it would change where you're going to go after those years are over. Trust in Christ. Hope in Christ. What he did for you. You see, for those who know they haven't responded appropriately to Jesus, you can escape that condemnation by placing your hope and your identity and your faith in him, having the forgiveness of your sins taking place. That's having your sin dealt with by finding your redemption in Christ, the redemption from your guilty sentencing because of your sin. Incredible hope. So then he pours this out, okay? John pours this all out, and then he moves and he shifts here to almost, uh, well, it's, it's modern day uh, in, this, in this era, in first century Jerusalem. This, this was modern day courtroom vernacular, courtroom terms and words. So he starts out by saying, in verse 19, and this is the verdict. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were literally all evil. So the light, Jesus Christ, comes into the the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light 
and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Literally, should all be exposed, every single one. And of course, this is ultimately wicked things, meaning it's the posture of their heart and they do nothing good. Not just good things, because you can still do good things and go to hell and not have hope of eternity with heaven, with, with, with Jesus in heaven. This is your heart remaining unregenerated, dead, in your sin, constantly wicked, defining your heart. But whoever does what is true practices truth. So you begin to have this lifestyle of modeling your Savior. You're practicing this truth, and it results in you coming to the light rather than running from the light so that it may be clearly seen, obvious, that his works have been carried out in God, literally carried out through his power, through the power of God. This ability to come to the light, to see the light and not run from it, but to see the light and say, yes, that coming to the light is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of you trying hard and doing good or result of works so that no one may boast in their own power and strength, but boast only in Christ and his saving grace. This is good news. It's liberating. So now John begins to hear in this context, he gives us a big overarching picture here of the world standing trial before God. And the charge is that the world in its darkness rejected Jesus, that God give Messiah. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So we're standing in trial, we're guilty, we rejected Jesus. And of course, this is the natural inclination of our hearts because of the fall. In Genesis 3, the result of our sin and separation from God that Adam and Eve experienced that we now inherit Consider Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. This is what we all result in because of our sin. This defines us because of our sin. Were it not for Christ, this defines every one of us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. In context, that means you couldn't help but follow. You had no other option but to follow. You were a mere robot to follow sin. Following the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is not at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires implied, the wicked desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is his case. John, the author, uses John the Baptist. He uses Jesus. He uses Jesus' miracles. He uses Moses in the Old Testament, the serpent being lifted up, he, in, right there dealing with Nicodemus, the verses prior to 16. He uses all these examples in his courtroom experience here, on, in, his, in his narrative, to point to the fact that we are guilty. Every one of us are guilty, and we stand condemned in our sin. This is why Christ came. This is why God gave us Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is, and this is hard, this is tough, but I would love for every ear to hear this. Every ear and every ear that's here that can feel, that can hear in your heart, not just hear, hear this truth. This is truth. Please hear me here. If you are not in Christ, 
and you do not see him as Savior and serve him as Lord, you are condemned by your sin, including your failure to recognize Jesus as Messiah and follow him as Lord. If you are not in Christ, you are in bondage to your sin. If you are not in Christ, you are spiritually blind. And rather than facing your guilt and shame of your sin and taking it to Jesus and repenting of that sin and placing your hope in Jesus, you suppress the truth. The Bible teaches that those who fail to recognize Jesus as Messiah, those who are in darkness, do not come to the light for fear of your own sin being exposed. My friends, the truth is that you are being deceived if you have not yet placed your hope in Jesus Christ. This is deception at its most cruel point. There is nothing more mean than this. There is nothing more hateful than this. Than for Satan himself, the author of evil, to con convince you. To convince you that you must not expose your sin and, 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 and repent of your sin. Because when that light hits you, it's going to destroy you. That is wrong. It's when the light exposes your sin that you are set free. And my prayer is that your spirit would hear the spirit of God this morning. And embrace the light. As, as, as inconvenient and as vulnerable as it may make you, embrace the light of the Holy Spirit. Embrace the light of Jesus Christ. Receive it into your darkness and let him change your life. It will destroy your selfish desires. It will. That is true. But it will give you something greater than your selfish desires to live for and to die for and to face in heaven. I'm telling you all, this is beautiful. But it's so hard for you to understand this and hear this because of being deceived. So I would ask you, even right now in this moment, for you to say, Jesus, man, if you're, if you're real, if this is true, I want you to fight through, man, how stubborn I am and how scared I am and, and how dark I am and how much I'm resisting the light and how much I've resisted the light my whole life. And invade me. Invade me. There's nothing in this life that I've found worth living for. And if what Jeremy's saying is true, you're worth living for. Because you thought I was worth dying for. Man, that would be life-changing. That would change your life. Encouragement for believers and encouragement for non-believers. Believers, we are as Christians... To fight to recognize our new identity. We are to fight to practically, functionally believe the truth that we are children of the ultimate king. That is our inheritance. That is our confidence. That is our identity. Before I am Jeremy, the husband of Jill, the son of a man named Bubba, which I think is kind of cool, the son of Bubba and Nedra, the father of four children. My identity is shaped not by that. Praise God it's not by that only. It's, it's more significantly that I am a son of God, that I have now inherited what is Christ. Because Christ took my place and he gave me everything that's his and he took everything that was naturally mine and now I have hope. I'm not the same guy. 
I'm not the same person. I still struggle, but in God's eyes, I am perfect. I'm perfect. When I mess up, God doesn't go, hmm, mm mm. That's bad. No, God sees me as blessed, as perfect. He sees me as he sees Christ. So how does he see Christ? Perfect. My son, in whom I'm well pleased. He looks at me and he looks at you who are in Christ. He says, perfect. That's my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is our identity. Believers, fight to believe this. Fight to hope in this. Believers be encouraged by Romans 5. Therefore, Christians, be imitators of God. As beloved children, this is your identity. Walk in love as Christ loved us, as he gave himself up for us, as that offering, as that sacrifice. But all these sins, the sexual morality, impurity, impurity and covetousness, must not be named among you, Christians. This isn't proper for the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor crude joking, which are out of place for the believers. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, or as, as John would write, that does and practices wicked things rather than practicing the truth, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God or Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here's the point. I read all that to end with this. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time, that was who you were. At one time, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk, live as children of light. Christians, I read that to say this. This is your new identity. Embrace this identity with confidence. Do not live as if you're hopeless. To live as a, for a Christian to live as if you are hopeless is to mock the hope that you were given in Christ. That is very selfish and narrow and disobedient. Repent for that. You have a reason to hope because you have Christ. And do not allow your past to define you in the present. Remember, sin has lost its grip on your soul. God is blessing you as quickly as you'll let him. He doesn't want to hold anything back from you. God is, God is radically, radically desiring to bless you. Hope in him. You are no longer a prisoner, an orphan, a victim. You are a new creation. There should be a confidence, a hope that God can and he will use even a broken past to establish a beautiful greater future. Jesus makes all things new. Again, I want us to be encouraged with Ephesians 2 once more. But God being rich in mercy because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And as if that weren't enough, he has now promised us that he will raise us up with him and seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that he may bless us. So that in the coming ages, he might bless us and bless us and bless us and bless us and be kind to us and kind to us and show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You have been saved so that he can love you and love you and love you and love you.
What a deal. This is our hope. This is our future. This is what should define us. If you don't have a job, if you don't have a girlfriend, if you don't have a husband, if you don't have a a, a college degree, if you don't have a close friend that believes in you, if you don't have wealth, if you don't have health, if you don't have a car or even a nice car, your hope must not be in the gaining of these things. Your hope must be in God and God alone. And it's when you live out that your hope is not in those things, the taking of those things away or the receiving of those things that changes or alters your hope. Your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and receiving his righteousness. This is the truth. Christians, it would be radical if we lived this out. It would be changing for us as well as others who watch us if we really lived out what hope looks like. For those who are outside of Christ, who are lost, who are unbelievers, this is for you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the broken past, the failures, the insufficiencies, gone. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins and their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Hear me. We implore you, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, those who are outside of Christ, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Jesus, then we, Jeremy, the other Christians in this room, we appeal to you to not receive the grace of God in vain. For it says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Those who are outside of Christ, now, today, today is the day that changes everything for you. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that there's no fault that may be found within our ministry. In other words, we're trying to make it as clearly as possible. When I wrote this sermon out, as Jacob and I toiled over this text this week and last week, to be presented to you, we wanted to make it as clear as possible, not giving you any obstacle outside of the gospel itself. So we ask you, be reconciled to God. Place your hope in him. Run to the light and not from the light. As unnatural as that feels, run to Jesus. Remember, there is no middle ground. Either your sin has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross, and you place your hope in him, and you see him as Savior and see him as Lord, and you're no longer condemned because he was condemned for you, 
Or your sin hasn't been dealt with by Jesus on the cross and you stand condemned. Receive Jesus today. Serve and obey him as Lord over your life starting today. Believe in Jesus and what he accomplished in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Do it. You will not be disappointed in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this incredibly encouraging word. God, would you work in the hearts of our people today, including myself, to encourage us and to teach us who you are, who we are, and whether we're in you or outside of you, and what to do with that. God, help us. In Christ's name.